The following podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Expressed here are my opinions and views. Any attempts to misconstrue my opinions as facts for the purposes of suing me are fruitless and idiotic. I have a right to my opinions. You have a right to yours, even though they're wrong. Think for yourselves for fuck's sake and do something better with your life than trying to sue me. I believe that everything that happens to me is because God is punishing me. And it doesn't matter what I think, say, do. If the shit's going down, the shit's going down and no one's going to stop it. I tell people all the time, you know how you feel better? Uh, Just ignore your fucking feelings. The devil is for idiots. If I didn't put that much into it, wouldn't I just be every other guy in this business? This is Jay Kent, and I'm back again with Nick Manning for episode two of Nick Manning Radio. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hey, what's going on, brother? Before we get into any of the bullshit that we talked about last week, I just want to start with talking about Motorhead. Uh, I've seen you wearing Motorhead shirts. I've seen you wearing Motorhead jackets to all of your red carpets events and all of the footage that I've seen you in. What is the deal with you and Motorhead? There's no deal with me and Motorhead. What the fuck are you talking about? Who's that? Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Could have been a loser. Ain't so bad. Ain't so bad. Rather be a boozer. Standing at the crossroads. See where the wind blows. Following the white line. All the way up my nose You'll be living on a razor's edge Soon as you learn to shave Make sure you live, be a long time dead Cradle to the grave One time Well, how'd you like that, Jay fucking Kent? (laughs) Yeah, right, you're not a Motorhead fan So tell me the story Talk about Lemmy and, and the band How'd you get to know those guys and all that? I guess let's start at the beginning. Back when I was in high school and college, I'd be banging iron on the south side of Chicago, and the fucking music was never heavy enough. I mean, all I could pretty much listen to was ACDC, and after years and years and years and years of listening to ACDC while you're training, you, like, need some fucking variety, right? I love ACDC, but give me something else. So one day I was in my apartment uh, in college, and I got a call from a friend of mine, and he said... There's this new station on FM, and their moniker was, if you're, if it's too loud, you're too old. So he told me what it was, and he goes, there's this band on there. I don't know what they're called or anything, but the dude sounds like a monster. I'm sure you'll be into it. So I put on the station. It wasn't too long before I heard a Motorhead song, and I figured out exactly what he was talking about. From then on, I pretty much listened to ACDC and Motorhead, and I got all the cassettes and cds at the time i had all their all their shit fast forward i i'm now in porn and i'm living in la and i shoot this movie called from lust till dawn i played the george clooney character from from dust till dawn so nonetheless um i do this flick and it was a big flick at the time uh one of the first parodies like that and uh they had a premiere for an adult film, not too many of those, like maybe 
2% of all the movies I've ever been in have had some sort of premiere. And what year is this? 2000 to 2002. Like, I can't remember exactly when I shot it, but and I don't know how long it took them to get it ready for release, but somewhere in there. Now, the chicks I was going to this party with, the premiere, they knew a guy who managed bands for Capitol Records, and they asked me if they could bring them. And I said, sure, whatever. We had a whole table at the premiere. Bring who the fuck you want. So I'd go with the chicks in a limo, and this guy meets us there, and he brings Lemmy. So, like, we're all sitting at dinner, and then there's a a break in the action or an intermission, and a bunch of us go in the bathroom to smoke weed. And Lemmy comes in there with me, and I'm like, hey, bro, you want to hit? He's like, you want to hit of this? And he pulls this bag of his drug of choice out of his pocket that was be enough for a month for anyone else. And I'm sure it was like uh, what he was going to take that evening. And I say, hey, no, bro, I got to get my fucking dick hard. And he goes, I get my dick hard. And nonetheless, we became fast friends after that. And uh, I hung out with Lemmy for years at the Rainbow, went to a shitload of his concerts, backstage, whatever. We, we always uh, hung out at AVN. He'd have that creepy look on his face when I'd be walking around with all these babes. Almost like he couldn't believe, like, how the fuck could anybody get all these chicks? And uh, nonetheless, uh, I was pretty upset with his death last year. But, uh, you know, had, I, saw one of his la- I saw his last concert, I think, in L.A. before they went to Colorado and he started having the health problems. Did you go to his funeral? Uh, I did not because... Uh, I just knew it was going to be a circus down there at the at the uh, Rainbow. I didn't want any part of that. But uh, uh, you said something about Filthy Phil yeah. before? Tell, tell me that story. Well, I guess Lemmy gives Phil my number. I was never as close with Phil, but I mean, a cool cat. And uh, he called me up one night because he wanted to go to Porn Star Karaoke. What is that? You've mentioned and, that before. I don't even know what that uh, is. Dude, uh, all you need to know about Porn Star Karaoke is you don't want to go. <laughs> It's fucking sucks. I've been there probably five times after the first time. The other four were against my will or because I went to pay homage to someone's party. Like maybe Nikki Daniels had a birthday party and I went there after my baseball game or something. But I hate that fucking place. I refuse to go. And Phil calls up and he's like all excited about wants me to take him to porn star karaoke. I'm like, bro. I'll fucking go out with you anywhere you want to go tonight, but we're definitely not going to porn star karaoke. So we engaged in some other debauchery. <laughs> Are you going to make me but, Google uh, this? This porn star karaoke? Oh, no. It's dude, don't waste your. It's like the shittiest bar, a bunch of clowns, and the worst D list porn people that can't sing anyway so what's the difference oh literally like this is shitty porn stars actually doing karaoke that's what we're talking about yeah like when i go there it's like the president showed up oh my god because like to have me in the building is such an honor for this fucking shit oh my god okay i have to to tell you what i thought it was gonna be i thought it was gonna be something where you put up porn scenes on a TV or some sort of screen, and people go up to the microphone and try to mouth over the the ooing and the eyeing and the fuck me harders. I thought that's what it was. That gonna... would be better. Oh Jesus! All right, well maybe we should start a business, make some money doing real porn <laughs> star karaoke.
That's funny. Okay, we ended last week's episode. Uh, I had asked you for your best and worst stories of porn. You told me three of your worst stories, and then you teased that you were going to bring up a couple of good ones for this week. So I wanted to remind you, you mentioned something about Janine and her first scene, boy-girl scene. Okay, let's, let's again, i got to give you the whole backdrop so that you appreciate what happens here. And I'm sure that I walk you through how the scene went and uh, Paul Thomas's reaction too, because sometimes I'll forget that part. All right, don't forget. He was the director, but uh, okay. At some point, and uh, I don't know, uh, five, six years into my career, maybe, maybe longer. I wasn't even living at Manning Manor yet, so that's why I say this. Janine got a contract from Vivid to do boy-girl scenes. Up until that point, I guess she'd only done girl-girl. Now, Janine is fucking hot. Yeah. Okay? And I'll back up even further. Before I was even in porn, I was in New York modeling and playing baseball, and I was sitting in my apartment in uh, Manhattan, and there's a local Manhattan TV show called The Robin Bird Show. And... It totally fucking sucked, but they always had, like, porn chicks on there, like, doing striptease acts. And nonetheless, I'm watching the show, and Blondage comes on, Julia Ann and Janine. And that's the first time I ever heard of them, saw them, whatever, and just, like, off the cuff, I say, I'm gonna fuck them. (laughs) Now, that was, like, the late 90s. Now, and there was a Michael Nin movie called Perfect, where I fucked Julia Ann. And now here comes this movie along called Maneater. And I wind up fucking Janine. And the way this goes down is I'm on a Sky Blue set. And one of the uh, camera guys who works for Vivid and Sky Blue comes up to me and says, Hey, man, the word on the street is that Janine's doing boy-girl scenes and she gave Vivid a list and you're on it. I'm like... Really? Because I don't even know this bitch, right? I don't, never met her. No, I just know she's freaking the kind of chick that I usually like. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And then I get a call when these scenes actually start going down that I'm going to be in her first movie called Maneater. And it's going to be me, Janine, and Angelica Sin. So I'm like, okay, tell me when. Now... Between the time I got that call and the time the scene actually went down, I went to uh, Phoenix with with Sky Blue, and we went to Jenna Jameson's grand opening of some strip club she has in Scottsdale, I think. So we go to this party, and I walk in, and sure, like, uh, I guess we came with Jenna, but people were there before, and I look over at the bar, and it's fucking Janine. First she's dancing, then she went to get a drink. So I'm like, I walk up behind her, and she doesn't even know it's me. I don't think she's seen me yet. And I go, little birdie told me you want to fuck me. And she's like, yep. And I said, well, the same little birdie told me that it's going to be me, you, and Angelica Sin. And nothing against Angelica Sin. I worked with her before. She's great. But if I'm going to do a scene with that's Janine's first boy girl... I don't want to be distracted. (laughs) Right. So I go to Janine. I'm like, well, you know, it's the three of us, but I think it might even be better if it's just me and you. And uh, she goes, 
I I can arrange that. So I didn't really talk to her much more then. I went back to whatever I was doing, and we came back to L.A., and I get a And the ironic part is, when they changed the scenes, the guy that she was going to work with and the boy-girl got switched to a different day, I guess, with Angelica, and then I wound up being the first day of the shoot. So I thought I was off that day. I get up in the fucking morning. Uh, I call this uh, stripper from... Uh, strip club that's pretty far from my house, like two hours to come up for the day and just fuck me. I'd fucked her before. She'd been to my place. And while she was in a route in her Corvette, uh, I get a call from Shylar at Vivid saying, hey man, come down here right now. Uh, it's going to be you and Janine today. So now I got to call this other chick that I'm going to fuck tell her to turn around and go home that I got to go to work. So I, I go down there, start the scene with Janine, totally fucking awesome. Like, I don't know if it's on there anymore, but there used to be a video on YouTube. It says Nick Manning and Janine Maneater. And it was just the kissing, like, like before we even got our clothes off. And it, I mean, someone would, thought that was so fucking awesome that they just put that up on YouTube. So I'm, rocking her world like she has no idea what's happening to her and uh we take a little bit of a break and pt pulls me aside and he's got that crazy look in his eye and he's like yeah i know what you're doing you, you keep it up like he knew that i was just like because i was like teasing her and i was driving her insane to the point where we started this scene out in the bathroom and at the break they're like we got a bedroom set up in the other part of the studio for you now because it's where it's supposed to be like a psychedelic thing where we kind of morph from the bathroom to the bedroom. And Janine's like, fuck that. I don't even want to stop fucking them. Let's just stay right here in the bathroom. I'm like, Janine, I get it and everything, but let me just give you some advice. When you're doing boy-girl scenes and they offer you a bed, take it. Because... I don't want my knees all fucked up off this tile floor. So anyway, I got her to move and then we went and finished it in the other room and it was fucking great. At any time anybody asked me about what was the best or my favorite scene or who did I like to work with the most, uh, I always say her for, for a million reasons, including how it all went down. Uh, but uh, it's one of those things, it's like... Uh, of all the great one-night stands you could say I've had in my life, uh, that one is on the front page. God, it'd be great to get her on the show, hear her, her tell that same that same story, the same scene. Well, if you want to do that, Jay, uh, I would totally support you. All right, and you also mentioned uh, Julia Ann, so the two people that you said that you were going to get with, you got with. Yeah, yeah. How was that? Uh, I'll tell you, that was the complete opposite. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, so, I mean, Julianne's hot. I think I th- I, th- I was into her, but she can't hang, bro. So I'm doing this Michael Nin movie, and it starts out with Julianne on her knees with these three Asian chicks, and she's making them all suck my dick, and then she's sucking it. And uh, the, the way the scene was supposed to work was her and Nikita Denise are the same character, and they kind of morph back and forth somehow. I was supposed to fuck... After the blowjob, just Julia Ann that day. And then I was supposed to fuck Nikita Denise like 
this was like a 10 or 15 day shoot, like way further on down the line in the movie. Cause it was a huge Michael Nin flick and it was a ton of dialogue and shit, action, action scenes, stunts. So it's always so funny to me. I mean, I, 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 I get that there's an art to it and I know that they're trying to keep people interested, but it's like how much of the people watching give a shit about the action and the morphing and the plot and the dialogue. I, I don't know. I just do what I'm told. <laughs> right, okay? and, and then they pay you after, right? And you get to go home. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I don't want to get into that. Yeah. But so now it's the first position. The blowjobs are done. The Asian chicks somehow disappear and I'm just fucking Julia Ann. And the first position is like doggy. I understand that this is probably going to be a four to five hour scene shooting for Michael Nitt at a minimum, maybe longer. So I'm like on Nick Manning cruising speed just to start the scene, like just getting it going, going just because I'm waiting to like, I'm going to put it on her and it's going to be in about an hour and a half from now. And during this, she turns around and she's like, Jesus Christ, Nick, are you going to fuck me like that the whole time? Like... I'm like, dude, I'm just getting started. And she threw this fit, and Michael Nin was, like, having none of it. He's like, fire her and getting the key to Denise in here now. Because he knew. It's like, she just, it's like, what's your deal? I fuck everyone harder than I'm fucking you right now. So she was complaining because she thought it was too rough and you were just getting warmed up? Dude, it was like, it was only, I mean, we might have only done 20 minutes. My muscles weren't even loose yet. Because, I mean, people don't realize, it's like when a scene, I don't know how, you know, every scene is different, but really what I do in a scene is, you know, I use the blowjob and the pussy licking to try to get a little, like, connection with the chick and the kissing, and then I try to, you know, take the first positions moderately, whatever, just to get, like, stretched out and my muscles loose and get a sweat on, and then... Like, we go to town and the more difficult stuff, so it's like, my body's ready for it. I don't want to get cramped up. Sometimes, you know, you get more flexible as you go, and then by two and a half to three hours, I can do all kind of crazy shit. And here's, I'm not even sweating yet, and this chick's crying. What what does a four-hour shoot get cut down to? Dude, uh, in that case, it would have probably been 30 minutes. In some cases, 15 to 20 but the reason it's taking four hours is mostly because they're trying to do several things at once. They're trying to shoot the movie, shoot the stills, shoot a softcore angle of the movie, get other angles. So all the jockeying to get what they want is what's taking the time because every minute that I'm fucking her is not usable because the camera guy is doing something different. So she ended up getting fired off of that shoot? Yeah. And then I'm assuming you never worked with her again. No. Was she like that with everybody? No. Huh. Like, honestly, you'd have to consider Julia Ann as a real successful porn star. I mean, it was just yeah, she and I did not work well together. And the funny and the weird thing is, is I've worked with everybody. The hugest stars, the business, the biggest nobodies in the business. And yeah, you would not expect that have had to have happened with her. Right. Especially since I kind of already knew her because we were on this uh, Playboy show together hosting uh, Naughty Amateur Home Videos. But nonetheless, uh, it wasn't like we were strangers. We'd always gotten along okay on that show. How how often are you working now? I'm not doing shit now. I'm fucking uh, retired. So is there anybody new that you see on the scene that you would have wanted to have a, have a scene with? 
I have no idea. I don't pay any attention to it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't name anybody. <laughs> like, who's hosting AVN this year? I probably have no idea who the fuck she is. Are most people from your from your generation in porn retired? No, they're probably still doing something. But okay. got a real like like we talked about before. I had money before I got into this business. I had a whole life, so yeah. you know my goal was always to retire in my forties, and I stuck to the plan. Do you miss it at all? Working? No, because I mean, I, my time is my own. When I get up in the morning, I do whatever the fuck I want to do that day. I want to go hit golf balls. If I want to go and work out, I'll do something. Hey, I want to um, switch gears real quick. We had talked last week about all of these ideas that you get pitched, and you went on a rant. You listed like 45 things that people have brought to you uh, to try to pitch <laughs> to get your brand. I wanted to go back to that because there were a couple more that you remembered since the last time that we talked. Nick Manning Champagne. Well, yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. Now, uh, there was a point when I was playing baseball in uh, Orange County that a scout came and wanted me to play independent ball again. So I actually went to independent spring training that year. The whole time we thought I was going to sign in Ensenada, Mexico, or uh, Indianapolis. And neither of those two locations was perfect, but the one they finally offered me was someplace in Boston. And I can't fucking live. Dude, I don't know anyone there, so I didn't go. But nonetheless, the scout and I became friends. And... He knew a woman who owns a company who wanted to private label uh, Nick Manning sh and Drop and Load Champagne and then market them to uh, strip clubs and nightclubs. So nonetheless, they I tasted them, picked out two. One was the Nick Manning signature label. And the other one was just Drop and Loads. Uh, one was a little cheaper than the other one. The other was more. So... Yeah, sounds like a good idea. I went along with it because I like the scout and the people seem nice. But here's why we, as Nick Manning Entertainment, we just don't fucking do everything. After we get this going, they realize that they have no way to distribute these things. So I'm not sure how much money we made. Thousands instead of hundreds of thousands or millions. And uh, I only thought of it because... I saw a bottle in my uh, refrigerator yesterday. I created an Instagram account for you a while back. You should take a picture of that, send it to me. We'll put it up on there. People love that shit. I threw the bottle out. I'll have to go get it out of the recycling. <laughs> we could, we could, we could put the bottle up on eBay. See if anybody wants it. See if we can bid it out. How about that? Okay. After we hang up, I'll go do that. All right. Sounds good. Uh, you sent me a clip of you on the Rob V show, and I'll. I'll play that here. The phone with us because we haven't heard from it in a while. Called in from the beautiful city of Los Angeles where it's a lot warmer. The one, the only Nick Manning. Nick, what's going on? I'm looking for some fucking jagoffs. <laughs> you you found them. I walked in. There's a smoke shop over there. I walked in to get some Copenhagen. And okay. As I'm standing in there, uh, there's two guys at the front. Now three more clowns walk in behind me. And all I'm envisioning in my mind is a Steven Seagal movie where I wind up throwing all these guys through all the glass fucking windows. <laughs> and I'll hit this guy in the throat. Then I'm going to thumb this guy in the eye. 
and then I'm going to kick this guy through a plate glass fucking cabinet. You know, <laughs> Nick, I was, I was saying to the guys, we were talking about the Lisa Ann filing their restraining order against Nikki Benz. I know uh, you, you, you know her pretty well. I, I, I'm trying to get her on. I, I've been failing miserably. I'd love to get her take on uh, trying to, her getting a restraining no, order filed no, against no, her. No, no, Nick, that's not what he wants. He wants to get Nikki on so she can abuse Lisa Ann because... Lisa Ann has publicly uh, <laughs> destroyed Rob on numerous occasions because... Dude, I'll be, I'll be happy to abuse her for you right now. I can't stand her. <laughs> yes, that's why I love Nick. And it's like, it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> and I face-fucked her into a coma. <laughs> uh, what is the deal with Lisa Ann and Nikki Benz? I've heard you bring this up on like three or four different radio shows and podcasts. I, the thing is, I don't know what the fucking deal is. Rob was asking me, and all I know is one of them outed the other one for something, and the other one didn't like it, and then they were going back and forth in social media, and then one of them said something about the other one on stage at some award show. That's what I have heard. I don't even know that any of that's real. So there's some unknown drama that has nothing to do with you, but Rob just keeps asking you about it because you're in the industry. Well, and here's the reason why. Rob, I'm very, I love Nikki Ben. She's cool, right? No issues with her. Uh, Lisa Ann, I don't give two shits about. Uh, so overrated. Another one who couldn't hang, <laughs> right? But personally, uh, I wouldn't piss on her if she was on fire. Um, but Rob V has real issues with her. What's his deal? Why, why does uh, he care? I, I don't know. You'd have to take what's he saying is clip. I don't know what you got there, but anyway, since he's my friend, I guess it's such a bone of contention for him. Every time I'm fucking talking to him, he's got something to say about her, <laughs> and that was just the latest. But I will say this: uh, Rachel Starr is a friend of mine. She was going out to Philly for something, maybe to dance. Rob wanted to have her on the show. I called Rachel, said, blah, 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 see my friend Rob. She talked to him, agreed to be on the show. And in the meantime, Lisa Ann got wind of it, uh, called Rachel and told her Rob was an asshole and not to be on his fucking show. Jesus. So, again, I, I, don't, I am no part of any of this drama other than I know the people involved. Is that a pretty regular thing? I mean, you think about the porn biz. You think there's got to be just the craziest, most fucked up people with these bizarre type A personalities and the drugs and the abuse. Like, who knows? I, I mean, I'm surprised not every relationship is a dysfunctional relationship in the business. How does anything get done? <laughs> well, I would just have to say to that, hence my retirement. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, but you've dated a lot of people, too, in the industry. And- oh, yeah. What? Hence my retirement. You can only <laughs> live in an insane asylum long enough without going insane. Yeah. And I just could never believe how the people around me, every, every day of my life seems surreal, which is great because for the fans of the book or the biopic or the documentary, the people who want to see me other than, ah! which you can get in your movies or on Nick Manning tube, right? Yeah, these are the things that make that show much more interesting than watching fucking Survivor. Or right. I don't know. Right. Married at first sight. I mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like this yeah. surreal shit 
was going on all the time to the point where it was just like normal life. But yeah. the only place it was normal life was at Manning Manor. And it wasn't just the porn people. It was the models and the actresses and the fitness chicks and the escorts and whoever. Because all the chicks that hang around me act like porn chicks. I know Charles told me that too. He said he'll be in a room. He, when he and I first talked, when he introduced the two of us, he would say, you've got no idea what it's like. You're in a room and there's 30 chicks around, the hottest chicks you'll ever see. And Manning is sitting there on the couch, just minding his own business, sitting there in a robe. And he said, and it's like the rest of the universe is invisible. Everybody wants to fuck Nick. He's just sitting there. He's not doing anything. And everybody just wants to fuck Nick. And he said, it's you've never seen anything like it. And what's even more amazing is, unless he would point that out to me, I probably would either not even notice or just be engaged with whatever chicks were fiddling with me at the moment. Because, I, you know, it's like a, a friend of mine told me one time, I'm a fun guy to go to an airport with. Because apparently everybody is just stopping and staring and looking and trying to figure out who I am or they know and they're embarrassed or giggling about it or telling everybody else or looking at their phone. But there's all these things happening. And the truth is, unless someone stops me and points it out that I should, I don't even notice because what am I doing at the airport? Well, I'm checking my bag or I'm trying to find my gate or I'm looking for my coffee or I'm talking on the phone, so it's not like I'm observing them observing me. I don't even notice. Do people ask you for autographs and pictures? Oh, it's it's insane, bro. But now, like I said in the last episode, you I'm like the groundhog. You don't fucking see me. Mm. So yeah. there's... If, unless this happens somehow at the mall, or wherever I'm having dinner, which it does, but it's not like I'm out in public where this can go on. Who who did you date in the industry? Because there's, I mean, oh there's God. rumors that you dated a ton of people, but uh, you and I have never talked about it. Ah, uh, jeez, that. Well, I'll just throw out the names I can think of off the top of my head. All right. Shay Sites, Jessica James, Tabitha Stevens, Maya Nicole, Sean Olenay, Heather Vandevin, Sam Phillips, Diana Loren, Michelle McLaren. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure more. Had, I mean, tons of, like, hangout chicks, right? And more, more like, yeah, we hang out and we bang versus we date. So with the ones that you dated, I mean, are these, like, you just you don't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to be like, are we boyfriend-girlfriend? I love you so much. When I look at you, I think of how the moon and the stars and the sky. I mean, you just don't come across to me as that kind of guy. Is that what a relationship is like with you? Well, uh... Well, I, I guess I'd have to agree with that. <laughs> yeah, you that's, just, that's a real good assessment. I'm, I'm so, I don't really live in the past. Okay, so the past gets erased from my head, which means I could bang you and not know who you are by the time I get home. I'm kind of just okay. I'm either planning the future or living in the now. So if you are with me in the now, and uh, we're doing a scene. We're going to do that one way. If you're with me in the now and we're hanging out in my bedroom, we'll do that another way. I would assume that's what people might determine is more romantic if it's on a regular basis. If it's just a one-night bang fest, then it's 
probably very similar to a scene. I don't know. I never really thought about it much. Yeah. I figured. You just you don't strike me as the kind of guy who's going to come down with a case of the feels. Well, I mean, I uh, I guess I might be more fond of some people than others. So you and I have talked in a couple of occasions, and you're always telling me that you've got these clowns, the clown of the week, the clown of the year. Go off on your rant. I want to hear it. One of the alternate titles for my book was going to be Clowns All Around Me, because that's what I... Like, as you described the the Charles uh, observation and what I just said, it's kind of what I feel like. I just, I'm standing in the middle of the universe and the first layer of that concentric circle is nothing but clowns. And then even you get five, six layers out, it's just different kinds of clowns. What comes to mind, we talked a little bit and you said, well, I've Clown of the day, clown of the week, clown of the month, clown of the year, clown of the decade. And while thinking that, I was like, well, the former Fed chairman, Alan Greenspan, is certainly the clown of the century. So I guess we'll start with him as the standard and work backwards. <laughs> All right. What's your what's your point of view on Greenspan? Well, I mean, let's just put it this way. He was touted as this brilliant economist and this and that and the other thing and fucking the expert he everybody was waiting with bated breath on every fucking thing that guy said if he was going to raise rates or lower rates the whole goddamn market and the world was going to fall apart mm-hmm. i mean and you know like i said i worked at the bank um i knew what was going on and then i a lot of time when i was in south beach I had plenty of time to day trade when I wasn't modeling or whatever the fuck I was doing. Uh, and I'd watch, what was it, MSNBC, the one with the market? Or is that CNBC? One of the two. Yeah, I just watched a ticker go by. And and then they were always waiting for the chairman's, whatever it was, the quarterly announcement and the statements or whatever. And he came out with his shit-ass, irrational, exuberant speech, and I lost a quarter million dollars in a week. Clearly, sustained low inflation implies less uncertainty about the future, and lower risk premiums imply higher prices of stocks and other earning assets. We can see that in the inverse relationship exhibited by price-earnings ratios and the rate of inflation in the past. But how do we know when irrational exuberance has unduly escalated asset values, which then become subject to unexpected and prolonged contractions as they have in Japan over the past decade? And then more shit. He let, it was, I think, somehow behind the idea is to let the investment banks and the banks fucking merge. And it's like every fucking thing they did was uh, the reason that we complain about everything today is because of the shit he did back then. It's like the but-for clause. But for Alan Greenspan, all the shit you're bitching about today would either not exist or be less to bitch about. But he just ramped up all the problems on fucking steroids. And then I found out that not only was he making all these stupid decisions and talking out of his ass, probably the reason that he was doing that was because he was he's like fucking in his 80s, right? He had some 20-something-year-old fucking girlfriend. 
So instead of keeping his eye on the shit, he'd let the whole world go to hell in a handbasket while he's out chasing fucking skirts? I mean, by that measure, I should be the Fed chairman. Because at least the skirts are chasing me. I'm not wasting my time. So there he is, clown of the century. You can fucking have him. And I don't even know who's the fucking Fed chairman anymore. But after him, it didn't matter. They were all doomed. Talk to me about uh, Capri Cavalli coming to the house. It's actually Cavani now. I think she got sued. I heard that, that she changed it to Cavani, that Cavalli came after her. It's like, are you kidding me? That's so funny. We should talk about that, too. Wait, hold on, hold on. Before we start that, tell me where the name Nick Manning came from. Oh, no, I'll tell you. They wanted to call me Van Ram. (laughs) And I was working with Alexa Ray and Sidney Steele in the first film I ever made. And we're sitting there all day because it's a feature. And uh, they're, like, pissed about this Van Ram. They're like, dude, you're too fucking cool and good-looking to be called Van Ram. That's ridiculous. The the stupid names they give you guys, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, we'll come up with something. And Nick Manning was what they came up with. So I just said, okay. (laughs) Because, again, like I said, I had no fucking idea I was going to be a... Like, I thought I was going to shoot some movies and go back to South Beach. So you had no idea that you were going to make this this huge career? and I didn't know it was even possible to have this. Right? I didn't know shit about this business. I suppose. I mean, other than like Ron Jeremy and maybe John Holmes, there really weren't any. any... Oh, but wait a minute. Uh, yeah, that doesn't matter. I'm making print ads, doing national commercials with international commercials with A-Rod, national commercials for... Uh, Bally's and places like the fitness. All I'm on fucking everything. I'm on a soap opera and I'm on a TV show. I've been in any given Sunday and for love of the game. And okay, given that, do you think I thought porn was going to be a big deal? I mean, that was like minuscule on my radar. Like I said, I was coming out to do a couple shoots and go back to South Beach and go back to do some castings and get my next month of gigs. And they never let me leave. I started shooting every fucking minute of every day. How many years total were you in the industry? 1997 till 2016. Now, we were talking about something else before you asked me about Nick Manning. What the fuck was it? Capri. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Capri stays over at my house. I forget what her dog's name was, but she had a pit bull. She brings a dog. Shauna Lene's in her room, and it's just the three of us at home. Capri gets up in the middle of, uh, not the middle of the night, in the morning, and she had to go walk the dog. She puts on the Manning robe, goes downstairs, walks out front. She's out there a few minutes, and I can hear Shauna playing video games in her room. And again, that's the only noise in the house. Like, it's quiet. It's 6 a.m., 7, whatever. Capri comes back up with the dog. No, Capri comes, yeah, with the dog. And says, hey, uh, Nick, the cops are here. I'm like, what? We don't even bother to tell Shauna. Cause, like, I'm just going to go see what's going on. I go outside. These motherfuckers are sneaking around my garage. Like, on the side. Like, out of sight with their guns drawn. What the hell? And the, I come out. The guy starts yelling at me. Tells Capri to put the dog back in the house. Because they're afraid it's going to attack them. And I'm like, what the fuck are you assholes doing here? And they're like, uh, we heard a noise complaint. A neighbor said they heard screaming up here. Now, dude, I'm the only one on top of this fucking hill. 
my closest neighbor is probably 500 yards away. So uh, I didn't hear any screaming. I'm pretty sure they didn't either. And since there wasn't any, it wasn't coming from my place. Shauna didn't hear it and she was awake. So I started, I'm like, that's what I told him. Shauna's up there playing video games. We were asleep until Capri had to bring the dog out and take a piss. So they put their guns away. They're like, well, we know what you do up here, Manning. And I'm like, oh, I see. You're a bunch of fucking perverts. You just want to look at hot chicks. So you're making shit up and coming up here. I said, and I was shooting that day. Uh, Barrett Blade was going to shoot something in my, in my uh, bathroom. And I was in it. And uh, I uh, tell the cops, I'm like, yeah, you guys are about seven hours too early. And I sent them on their fucking way. Oh, it's better. The guy starts giving me all kind of, asking me all kind of questions about why I don't have a house phone and this and that. And I'm like, are you trying to give me advice? I said, you're a fucking C student and you're a cop. And look what you do and look what I do. Look where you live and look where I live. And you think as of right now, I'm going to start taking advice from you? Get the fuck off my property. So again, minding my own business, nothing but confrontations in my life. It's always draw. I When I first started helping you out with the Twitter account, I mean, I, I had been helping you out with Twitter for like three days before everything became this huge controversy. The chick who used to help manage the account is posting all these articles about how the account's fake and it's not real and it's a fraud and all this kind of shit. And it's like, oh, my God, I just I, I like I, I don't even know what I got myself into. I've been here for two days and all of a sudden I've gotten people writing articles about me. And nobody believed that it was really my account right. and you, you couldn't get it verified, even yeah. though there's a video of me on there. Yeah. Well, and then people wonder why I don't fucking dig social media. <laughs> it, you know, I don't like I said last week. I'm anti everything, right? If you're anti something, anti establishment, I'm for you. Because everything's a fucking circle jerk, and I just don't partake. I don't want to participate. Uh, somebody told me once that I vote with my feet. Like I don't let commercials influence me. I don't succumb to any sort of peer pressure or. A, the authority of the police or the government. And that makes me a fucking weirdo. No, it makes you guys assholes because you do what they tell you. I mean, and this isn't like I'm just some conspiracy theorist. I had nothing to do with any of that, but look what you experienced. Right. Okay. Right. I wasn't even involved. You did it. Yeah. And then, uh, it, it, you know, it's like, I don't know what to say. Uh, when I was at the bank, you don't think I figured out that everything they were doing was a Ponzi scheme? It's like I saw that that movie Madoff the other day. He goes, I was just a Ponzi scheme within a bigger Ponzi scheme. And that's exactly what, it's not just the stock market. That's how the world is set up. It doesn't matter if it's money or occupation or power or connection or anything there's a Ponzi scheme attached to it. Yeah, and people are like, well, Nick, you should be doing this. You should be doing uh, I should be doing a lot of things. But I chose to 
mortgaged my 20s and 30s so that I could retire early. And that's what I've done. Mm -hmm. And I don't care about what you might miss or girls or the business. or What I care about is what is my real life like? And my real life is me sitting here at this fucking desk or laying on the couch or being out in the yard. So I'm much happier doing that than anything else. So I don't know what people want me to do. Yeah, and I don't really care. I didn't solicit their fucking opinions. But you can't have a stranger get introduced to me and not start giving me some sort of advice. It's like, do I have a sign on my head that says I look like I need some sort of fucking guidance? Is that all celebrity dumb? I mean, does that happen with just anybody who's in the in the public domain? Dude, I don't know, right? I never discussed this with any of my celebrity friends, but I will say what I know about their lives uh, juxtaposed to mine. Uh, mine is a curiosity even to them. Like, in the world of celebrities, I'm still the oddball with the weirder shit happening. <laughs> yeah, well, no doubt. That's why you get a, that's why you get a radio show. <laughs> um, you asked me to tee up for you the Bad Kitty story. Oh, yeah. So, again, you asked me about great scenes. And uh, this movie was called Bad Kitty, starring Kira Kenner, uh, unbelievable vivid girl. And uh, it was directed by Paul Thomas again. He directed so many of the vivid movies I was in, especially, in fact, all the biggest and best ones. Um, really cool dude. But nonetheless, Kira was on contract. And Kira was one of those porn chicks who thought she was better than the rest of the people in porn. Hmm. So she had a very select list of dudes that she would work with. And probably when I got on that list, it was five. But after I worked with her the first movie, then I was working with her multiple scenes in all of her movies, and she was shooting like 85% of the scenes that she was doing in these movies were with me. Hmm. And that went on for about five more movies. I'd worked with her like six times. Now we get down to this movie, Bad Kitty. And I had a really cool part. I was a, uh, like a half breed Indian, uh, sheriff or FBI agent, but I was a tracker cause I was Indian. I could track things and I wore this black cowboy hat and I had long hair. And I didn't ever wear uh, shoes. So I'd walk around barefoot everywhere. <laughs> All right. <laughs> And so, nonetheless, I, the, the scenes with Kira were always great, but again, the, the backdrop is better. We do this fucking rocking scene. Uh, Kira pretty much falls in love with me and tells Vivid that she, in every movie henceforth that she's only working with me. Oh, wow. And they're like, you can't fucking do that. So anyway, it went on. Like I did probably four or five more movies with her and I did all the scenes probably. And then eventually in the middle of one of these movies, she did something really stupid to either PT or Shylar. Nonetheless, she got fired. 
so shit. that was the last of my foray with Kira, which was probably maybe 10 or more scenes, and they were all really cool. And the interesting part about it was they replaced Kira with Mercedes in the same movie, and I just worked with her, and they pretended like it was just the same girl. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Did she? Yeah. Le- she she left the industry, didn't she? I think so. Okay. But is there a is there a shelf life? I mean, is it like you got ten years and then you gotta you gotta get out? You're done. Nah, I mean it's different for everybody. I mean, look at Ron Jeremy and guys like Evan Stone. It's like a, I can't imagine that Evan will ever quit. I mean, when I was doing Batman, and I was doing all those long days and the stunts and like the other guys, in the business who were just there, like being like villains or whatever they're like dude you're the only dude in this business crazy enough to take this part because i'm just willing to do more reckless things and uh i like to play rough than most people so if i would have just lived my life moderately i would have probably been able to do fucking this job until i was 80 but I wore myself out. I mean, I've had two shoulder surgeries, double hernia surgery. How much more does a person have to put themselves through? You mentioned that these girls can put you guys on lists, the guys that they'll want to work with. But there's also a will not work with list, right? The no list? Uh, you know what? I don't know anymore that they have either of those. Oh, okay. Um, the chicks back then used to be real stars, so they'd get some leverage. Mm. Now... now these chicks come and go so much and there's they're not making as much money so they'll just do whatever you tell them got it do you think that you could have gotten in the industry today with the way that it is with the web and everything and made a living yeah because that whole nick manning phenomenon would have been the same anytime right yeah we just made money differently but i'd probably have like a reality show on television or something Right. God, which I still I still wish you could get. I mean, I just it'd be so entertaining. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about is Stern. I'm going to play a clip from the biopic that's on Nick Manning Biz, the drop and loads of the legend of Nick Manning. Yeah. Nick Manning, the guy's a huge porno star. You know Nick from uh, all of his movies. Oh, yeah, drop and loads. He's Mr. Drop and Loads. What? Hunt. <laughs> I'm Nick Manning. Welcome to the Howard Stern Show. Great to be back in NYC. Howard rules. Thanks for all the support. And uh, I'll be in there in a few minutes. I, I want to talk about how you got on Howard Stern, what that was like. I want to know what was the deal with you and Robin. I know that we're going to get a lot of listeners who are going to start tweeting and asking these kinds of questions. So I want to get ahead of it. What on earth was that all about? And uh, how about if we kick off next week with that? That sounds good. All right, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I know you had a list of things. I had a list of things. I think we covered pretty much everything for this week. I guess the most important thing we have in the docket is the uh, upcoming release of my book as planned. All right, so so tease that. We know it's coming. What's that looking like in terms of timing and where the your fans are going to be able to buy it? You want to get into it? Well, let's just say this. When you alluded to before we discussed a bit mm-hmm. about all the pitches I get, well, this is one of them. 
So it went from just having the book pitched to getting it published, and now I actually have in my possession a copy of the actual book as it will be um, made available. It's really cool. Uh, what they're doing now is they're making an ebook and they're running, I guess, however many copies they're going to sell of the other book, the uh, hardcover. I've set a date of July 5th by which I think we should release it. Now, I'm not in control of any of the rest of it, so if they don't get it done by July 5th, don't get mad at me, anyone. <laughs> All right. So when it's out, when it's official, we'll announce it on the podcast. In the meantime, people can find you on Twitter at Real Nick Manning. They can find this podcast on Twitter at Manning Radio. They can check out your website, nickmanningbiz.com, where they'll check out your supplements, which, by the way, we have yet to talk about. So next week when we chat, we have to talk about the supplements, what they are, why people need them, where to buy them. Okay, we can do that. And then we'll talk about the song, too. So I'm going to play a song at the end of the podcast. This is you singing, right? This is your song. Uh, are you talking about Early Grave? Right. Yeah. I, uh, when they did the biopic, they asked me if I would provide some music. And I provided some of the music from my buddies that worked at Playboy. They had that band Miniature Man uh, in the workout parts. And then they wanted me to do a song for the credits. So I wrote this song called Early Grave. And uh, I guess you get it on iTunes still, but it, it's the credits of Dropping Loads, The Legends of Dick Manning on DickManningBiz.com. Cool. And we'll play it at the end of this podcast. All right, man. All right. Well, I will uh, we'll pick it up again next week. Until then, take it easy. Okay, Jay. All right, don't hang up. You need to f help me get out of here. If I hadn't met you, dear I never found this pain This broken heart that I poured out We know who's to blame I guess I should be thankful For a career that you did save There's lots of songs along the road To an early grave Hank had nothing on me he cried and sang the blue Imagine just how great it'd been If he'd married you Well, I really had no talent So how come I'm great? Well, there's lots of songs along the road To an early grade Ain't too good, don't look good But it'll get worse don't look good, don't feel good It's gonna take years Life drives you nuts, babe Cause if you ain't certain It'll kick you in the guts, babe Then leave your hurting It don't matter up or down Sideways and around If it makes you feel good, do it And then get out Living on the razor's edge Rose into what I say Don't spend your life in your own head Cradle to the grave